Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 10, The Dreams of Dylan McKay. Mary, what happened this week? Rescue workers find Dylan in his totaled car and take him to the hospital where he's treated for drug intoxication and head trauma. He's in a coma and having vivid dreams featuring pretty much everyone who comes into his hospital room. Also, Mrs. Teasley, every girl he's ever banged, Kevin and Suzanne, Erica, a homeless man, his drug dealer, and eventually Jack McKay. The Walshes and the gang check in on him throughout the day until eventually Dylan wakes up to find his mom and Jack watching over him. Oh, also, Steve's dad tries to relive his glory days of being a fraternity flag football player, and Steve thinks that's so embarrassing. Brandon also plays football, and all the main boys get dad moments. The end. <laughs> well, guess we're going in order this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like we kind of have to because so much of it is Dylan. Yeah, agreed. Man, I'll say, though, that opening scene was great, in my opinion. I don't like all of the dialogue that happens, but the scene itself was really good. I actually liked opening right where we left off, where the paramedics are, like, arriving on the scene, and you're like, oh, my God, what's happening to Dylan? Yeah. No, it's like, it was really hard to hear what they were saying. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you could hear it. It was, like, painful to hear. But, yeah, it was really great that they were, like, you know, reacting to the scene of the accident. And they were, like, oh, we found drugs. And then you see, like, the two firefighters looking at each other. And mm -hmm. then the voiceover being, like, but we think it could have been a suicide attempt. But then you hear, like, either way, waste of a life. It's like, Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just thought that was a little um, unrealistic. I don't know if that's the word. Like, I really hope paramedics don't say stuff like that. That's the thing. I don't know any paramedics, so I really just have to hope that, like, maybe even if you do say stuff like that, like, don't say it at the scene. I don't right. know. Like, say it in the break room when you're chatting with your fellow EMTs or paramedics or whatever about what you saw. I Like, it just... I think they could have left it at they found like them finding the drugs and saying it might be a suicide attempt because that is like you're speculating about what happened, not about who the person is and whether or not he deserves to live. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point because, yeah, right after that is when they're like, oh, give him, you know, Narcan and then perform CPR if it's needed. And it's like you mm -hmm. were literally just like, this is a waste of a life, but save yeah. it. Right. Like, but we took an oath, so I guess we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. It's it's a very cynical view of, like, healthcare, and I don't mm -hmm. like it. Yeah. I was just like, what? No. <laughs> That's our Dylan. <laughs> well, and it even continues when they're in the hospital and, like, they're – I guess they're, like, doing rounds and she's a resident or a med student? At first I thought she was, like, an intern. Like, you know, the first year of residency. Yeah. But then she later says she's a med student. So it sounds like she's not even she's not even graduated yet. Okay. Yeah. Because I wrote intern here and then I must have like remembered that she said med student later. But they're like doing the rounds. She's talking about what happened with Dylan. And then like the doctor comes in and is like, I know you have this junkie, but I have an arrhythmia next door. Yeah. Yeah, he literally says, like, not to diminish this poor junkie's tragic situation, but I have a raging ventricular arrhythmia or something. And then doctor's like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm like, sorry. That's not how rounds work. No. no. You literally go to each one. Well, actually, I, all I know is based on Grey's Anatomy and the resident and things like that. But And scrubs. And scrubs. Yeah. But you but don't like, just skip the boring patients. They're patients too. And you literally have someone like presenting the patient and like what's going on and also a plan of action. So I was yeah. just like, okay, I'm already going to hate this guy. <laughs> yeah, it was a very interesting thing. Like, I don't know how much we were supposed to care about the doctor versus this med student. But there was definitely like at the end of the episode when they get all up in each other's faces, I was like, 
Oh, they banged. <laughs> yeah. That's why yeah. they're mean. This is like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> they're just going in all call room. Ugh. Ugh, he was so gross. Yeah. yeah, it was real not great to watch. Um, but, I mean, that was – I guess they – I don't really feel like they necessarily needed to insert some sort of, like, medical drama within this. I, I felt like Dylan's story was – like dramatic enough on its own especially with how many times we went back into the dream state but speaking of that's what happens next is basically dylan you see him on on the hospital bed and he has like all this like crazy rapid eye movement and twitching he's like i don't know if that actually happens but regardless he's presenting like that and the intern says that he's or the other um doctor that comes in says that he's in a heightened dream state thus we get to his dream yeah, I I do want to say I thought it was really interesting that the med student like started talking anthropology and was like, you know, some people say that dreams are a battle for one's soul. And I was like, oh, did you take Lulu's class? <laughs> oh, my God. What if she did go to see you, took an undergrad anthropology class with Lucinda, then went on to med school? I'd buy it. I would, too. I wrote her in my notes um, as Dr. Lulu. <laughs> nice until i found out her name like 10 scenes later mm-hmm. yeah i don't oh, know that. that i ever wrote her name down i don't think i did either like, to be honest everything was just moving so fast yeah it was because mm-hmm. yeah she's saying like you know dreams are a battle for one soul and then you go into the stream and these scenes kind of like repeat themselves over and over and over again but basically dylan keeps seeing Mrs. Teasley as a doctor, and then Suzanne is a doctor. Suzanne is a doctor. Kevin's a doctor. And then you hear Erica calling for help. And in this first one is when he, like, hears Erica calling for him, and, like, nothing can stop him from trying to find her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's literally, like, a bull in a china shop, tearing through the hospital, um, knocking things over running into people stuff goes flying everywhere and he finally like like runs past an old veteran his dealer and finds erica on train tracks just like in a tunnel yeah and like she's begging him to hurry there's like a bright white light behind her which i guess is him like facing death over and over again like I assumed this was very like walk into the light and it'll all be over yeah and it was like really kind of unclear because it almost weirdly felt like a Groundhog Day episode because the train track episode kept happening and he kept seeing the same people the difference is is like you know it wasn't the same scenario every time it would kind of cycle through a few different scenarios so it wasn't exactly a time loop situation but it was almost like every time he quote-unquote went toward the light because he would he would go past erica or whatever or go toward erica and then he would start all over Mm -hmm. so yeah because he like we get another of his dreams later but we have to take this quick break because you know technically nobody else knows what's happened to him Mm -hmm. so we find out that you know while he's being taken to the hospital there is this huge flag football tournament going on with greek life at cu Brandon is playing with the Keg brothers, which, I mean, I guess is just to put Brandon into the story. Like, I have no problem mm-hmm. with it. Sure. And then, for some reason, David is filming it. Of course he is. Yeah. I think he calls it, like, a football video essay. And then Claire keeps trying to, like, talk in it. And he's like, this isn't working. It's like, yeah, <laughs> because it's a flag football video. It was interesting because she was almost like trying to make it into like a news magazine situation, like picture, (laughs) Friday Night Lights, like, you know, like setting the scene and like all this kind of stuff. Whereas David's like, no, 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 no. You can't just have like a commentary on it. You have to incorporate the emotion that is sports. And Claire says like such a great line. He's like, dude, don't ESPN to me here. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I like they did not need to be in this episode at all. Like when they go see D- Dylan later, like that, you know, really means nothing to me other than the sake of putting them in the show. But I do mm-hmm. love Claire's whole little thing here where she's like, don't ESPN me. 
And then she starts talking. She's like, I need to know why intelligent young women would be subjected to this. They're even wearing jock straps over their shorts. Poor Claire. Didn't even know that those were flags. I know. <laughs> like, if those are jock straps, why are there like four of them on at once? Right. And they're just <laughs> hanging. Yeah. They're not attached to anything. There's no protection there, Claire. No. That's, that was pretty funny, though. Because she tries to take it of the angle of like, like, how is this hot? <laughs> and I was like, I, I appreciate that. I I appreciate it. But then I was like, actually, am I offended? Because I like football. I mean, <laughs> gone are the days of me getting offended by liking sports. Like, I've liked sports for way too long. And plus, being a woman who likes sports, I never really got that. Like, I mean, I have before by other women. But by men, it's just like, oh, tell me this really obscure fact that I randomly looked up to prove that you actually like sports. Yeah. So. <laughs> Name every ball. Yeah, right? Name every single player that ever played a sport ever. And their mother's name and the high school they went to and what they like to eat. Also, their endorsements from brands. And um, please emphasize which one sold soup. <laughs> I can't do soup, but I could do yogurt. I could also do Subway. <laughs> but anyway, um, Steve and Muntz are like they've been playing this whole time, like while David and Claire have been talking. And so they get into a huddle, Steve's team, and Steve and Muntz think they're going to win, like handily. And Brandon's like, whoa, 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 guys. <laughs> Don't take your foot off the gas pedal, which I mean, honestly, as if you're a Georgia or Atlanta sports fan, he's 100% right. Never take your foot off the pedal. Um, <clears throat> but then weirdly, Rush Sanders shows up. I know. And he says like, oh, I was at the booster club and I heard about the game. So he comes over, makes another one of those comments when he sees Kelly of just like how my son ever let you go. I'm like, that was four years ago. Like, get over it, dude. He, this is why Steve can't get over it. Yeah. This is why, you, like, Rush explains so much about Steve. Like, five seconds of Rush on screen. I'm like, oh, everything makes sense. Mm -hmm. Also, if he's all about, like, reliving his glory days and, like, so into keg and so into the football stuff, like, I kind of feel like he would just, like, have these dates in his calendar. Right. Like, he would – he would have marked this on the calendar. He would have, like, been counting down the days. I feel like, yeah. Even though, I guess, well, email would have been a thing, right? I think so. Do you think Booster or Club least, was just an excuse? Yeah, or at least a mailing list or something, like an actual physical mailing list. So he'd get a flyer, kind of like, you know, these days you get, like, homecoming notices in, in your email or whatever for your school. Yeah. I feel like he'd know about it. Honestly, schools can find you. Like, yeah. my my school, like UGA, knows that I changed my last name. Yikes! Yeah, I was like, I wasn't married when I went there. How do you know this? <laughs> they but always all, know. Yeah, all my mail comes to my new name, and John is like impressed every time it comes here. I'm like, no, they just <laughs> want money. Oh, they totally do. They want your money. They want all yeah. your money. But yeah, I mean, like. You know, Rush shows up at this game, pretty much immediately puts Steve on edge about mm -hmm. it. But yeah, just his presence, like, makes Steve uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and then before we, like, actually see more about Steve and Brandon and that whole group, we have to, like, quickly rush over to the Walshes just to establish, like, this is where they are when Iris calls and tells them what's going on. Mm -hmm. And like, on top of her calling from, I guess, Hawaii, like, I guess she's, like, about to get on a plane is my guess. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, apparently Jim yelled at Valerie for smoking cigarettes and Cindy's upset. And then Valerie's just like, I'm so sorry. I picked up smoking after my dad died. I'll quit if you want me to. And Jim's just like, I don't want you to do it for me. I want you to want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like – it was just such a weird 
time to bring this into the fold. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I think it was, like, totally fine for Jim and Cindy to eventually find out that Valerie was smoking because, like, she does it. So yeah, eventually she'll find out. It was just a weird time because they never bring it up again the rest of the episode. Um, So I'm just not sure why they needed it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're, like despite this episode having a million things to do maybe they're trying to mm-hmm. set something up for future episodes because i know I, think so too. I was listening to the 90210 show and i think it was even um charles who wrote this episode was saying that they really wanted to do a smoking episode with brenda but then like they were basically told like no brenda cannot smoke even if it's to prove a point like she has to quit immediately they're probably thinking like We've given her so much to get in trouble for. We can't give her one more thing. <laughs> and then, yeah, one season later, he's like, but Valerie. She's from Buffalo. <laughs> She's different. We can yeah. let her smoke. She's not a Walsh. Right. She's a Malone. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're talking. They get interrupted by Iris calling and then like you see their faces being like oh my god something happened mm-hmm. and then all the flag football kids have to find out because it is break in between the games so Steve Brandon and Kelly are you know rushing over to the peach pit to go get something to eat and Stephen makes a comment of how they blew their lead even though they won which I think is like he says after my dad started doing his Newt Rockney thing mm-hmm which is very interesting to me because I looked up Newt Rockney and he died in like 1931. I was like, I'm not saying like Steve wouldn't know that person, but like I don't know that I could name a prolific football coach from 60 years ago. 60 years ago? Hmm, challenge accepted. <laughs> um, name every Notre Dame football coach. <laughs> Prove I it. I mean, Lou Holtz is pretty old. When did he coach Notre Dame? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. Um, yeah, from the sixties. Yeah, although I did sixties. I did Vince look Young, up uh, Vince Dooley. Vince Young. Did Vince Dooley coach back then? Ooh, but see, that nah. doesn't count if you're gonna use your own school. Hey, man, I'm using Newt- what I know. Okay, <laughs> Newt Rockney coached at Notre Dame. Yeah. I did look him up, though, and apparently he is credited with, like, inventing the forward pass or something. The forward pass? I'm sorry. The pass? (laughs) (laughs) We only pass sideways. Yeah, right? (laughs) Sideways, backwards, up and down. There's no passing. Just running. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What if football used to be, like, rolling the ball to each other? (laughs) (laughs) It's basically bowling, but no pins. (laughs) I'd watch it. I would too. Let's be real. But yeah, no, that was that was something I had to really think about the reference, not just like because I know who New Rockney is, but like more of the um, placement of the reference. But then what I thought was funny in that little scene was like Kelly is trying to explain to Steve that Rush just wants to relive his glory days, and Steve's like. Duh! <laughs> like, yeah, Kelly, thanks for catching us all up to speed here. <laughs> I just really love the idea that Kelly just wants to psych 101 people and be like, oh, I yeah. learned this now. And everyone's just like, yeah, Kelly, that's why it's psych 101. <laughs> yeah. This is just people doing people <laughs> things. Oh, man, that was hilarious, though. Steve killed me. Yeah, he's great. And then, you know, unfortunately, they they walk into the peach pit and Andrea is there, too, which she she also didn't really need to be in this episode. But whatever she was talking to Nat and then they walk in. Steve's like, give me two mega burgers with cheese or whatever. Yeah. And then Nat immediately tells them that Dylan is in the hospital on live support because he totaled his car. Yeah, and then we go back into a Dylan dream. Mm -hmm. So this time, he's at the Walsh house 
with Valerie. It's Thanksgiving. He calls Cindy and Jim mom and dad. Valerie brings what looks like a very dried out lasagna or something. Like it just didn't look good. Why didn't they put tinfoil over it? <laughs> right. And then on top of that, Kevin and Suzanne are there watching football and talking about their amazing meeting with their friend, Mr. Cousteau. <laughs> I got to be honest, when they brought up Jacques Cousteau, I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> You're cleaning up the ocean and you somehow got a hold of Jacques Cousteau? <laughs> They're cleaning up the ocean as a like two-person company. Yes, exactly. In Arizona. Where there is no ocean. <laughs> yeah, and he hears the doorbell ring, and he's like, oh, my God, you guys let Erica walk here all by herself? But first mm -hmm. he has to go stop to see Jim because Jim is carving the turkey by himself in the dining room, which felt a little weird to me. But then something, like, slithers around the turkey, and it just, like, it totally threw me off. Do we see anything slithering ever again? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Okay. But, but like that like that was like really scary. Actually, it really that was. was. Like, a really good horror visual with Jim just carving a turkey that never fucking ends. Yes. And then having just a fucking tail squirm around it. Mm -hmm. It was just like, chilling. Yeah. And on top of that, because that not only was that just like gross but also scary i don't know if you guys noticed but like leaves were actively falling in yes the yeah i mean like there are some scary elements that happen later like we have to relive his dad's death a few times yeah but there was nothing quite like that right something else like cindy's face when they come to the door was just in the window slash wreath <laughs> oh hi you two like that that was the stuff of nightmares, honestly. <laughs> it was a very bizarre, like, I think they were going more for bizarre, but, like, that one little moment just got real scary mm -hmm. and then, like, pulled back into bizarre in the next dream. Right. It was like, right. you know those Adult Swim infomercials? It was, like, that kind of vibe. Yeah. But... We can't talk about the next dream yet because you got to go back into the real world real world for a second because th at this point, Brandon knows what's happened to Dylan. He doesn't want to go back to the football game or at least he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go back to the football game. Mm -hmm. But then Kelly tells him that he's being ridiculous and he'll feel better once he's playing. And I got a little mad at her. Like, yeah. She's literally like, he's not dead yet. It's almost like she put a little too much emphasis on the word yet. Yeah. Or like, was, you know, what did she exact she what did she exactly say? It was something like we shouldn't bury him or something. Yeah, I didn't write the exact exact quote, but it's like as long as Dylan's in there fighting for his life, I think we shouldn't bury him yet. Right. So she's and, literally I mean, just like go live your life instead of sitting here with him, which like is just not how that works. Right. And like I guess if she knew that he was in a coma at this point, like, he he may not wake up for a while, so you might as well, like, I don't know, continue on. It doesn't – it just doesn't sound great no matter how you, you spin it. But I think she was, like, weirdly trying to make him feel better because Brandon's like, like, we've been in this hospital way too much surrounded by death because Josh we, – we were just here for Josh, and now Dylan's here, you know, so – you know Kelly's bad at making people saying the right thing and make, making people feel better. So maybe she just didn't know what to say. But it it's almost worse because then she even says like, "We did everything we could." Like she's telling now because Val walked up and she's asking Cindy and Val like how they're doing, and Val literally says like, "I think that I'm making him feel worse just by being here." And she's like, "No, like you shouldn't blame yourself. It's his own fault." Because they did everything they could by setting up the intervention and putting him in rehab. It's not like you knew that he was drinking himself. 
to death, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's not like you knew he was out there getting wasted and you didn't do anything to stop it. And like at this point, if I were Val, I would have been like, how did you know that? Right, because it was a little hard to tell if Kelly was like probing or not, you know? Yeah, she like I don't know. This whole little part with Kelly, like I couldn't really get the right vibe on her because even when Valerie's like, I think I'm making Dylan feel worse, Kelly's like, that's something Brenda would say. Did she say that because Brenda, like she thinks Brenda made things about her when it was happening to other people? I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm not sure I was trying to read into that comment and I don't know what it meant. Yeah. But then Kelly goes in to see him, calls him a bastard, and then we get a cutscene going back to when she came to Jack's party and nobody else did. And so they went and got in the pool and he's like, oh, I choose you. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into his next bizarro dream where he and Kelly presumably are at their own wedding in the Walsh house and Jim is walking Kelly down the stairs. But then it like, cuts away for a second and comes back and now Brandon is marrying Kelly and Valerie is like oh well if he forgot the rings I have some and she's also in a dress with the biggest (laughs) costume jewelry I've ever seen in my life oh yeah it was gigantic and then I guess it's a double wedding I guess so but what's the weirdest part of that well before I say the the weirdest part about this dream but Before that, Valerie had asked Kelly, like, when they were still talking, if she still loved him or she was like, you still have feelings for him, right? And she doesn't get to say. So that was, like, a good segue into this dream because it pulls in, like, Dylan's feelings for Kelly or at least what he used to feel or has felt or whatever. But the weirdest part about this dream is that when supposedly Valerie is marrying Dylan, he calls her Valerie and then she says... What it basically like, what did you call me? I'm not Valerie. Yeah. She's like, I'm Brenda. This is who I want to be. This is who I am. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's like blurring these lines of like, we saw that one scene in reality where Kelly and Valerie are talking to each other. And then, you know, Kelly brings the scene over to Dylan. We go into his mind. And all of a sudden, like, he's having all of these weird dreams that have Valerie and Kelly and Brandon and getting married and talking about Brenda and all this stuff put together. Mm -hmm. And then he sees Erica on the train tracks again and his dealer's like, you got to go save her. And then he wakes up. Quote unquote. Yeah. I realize I did air quotes and no one can see those. (laughs) But yeah, he wakes up and quote unquote wakes up And then tries to call the nurse, and this is how we know he's still dreaming because in comes Mrs. Teasley again. And Suzanne and Kevin, and Mm -hmm. Suzanne is like, if I had known that stealing all your money would do this to you, I wouldn't have. But, I mean, we're here now. Yeah. It was like, it's it's business. It's not personal. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. (laughs) You're saying if you knew Dylan was going to end up having a drug dependent drug and alcohol dependency issue and driving his car off a cliff you never would have stole his millions of dollars riddle me that the lady does have a heart <laughs> i refuse to believe it like no. i know this is all in dylan's head but like i refuse to believe she would have been like no he'll get over it it's just money yeah 100% but then yeah you see his dealer again like putting medicine into a vial and it's like very clearly like this is starting to get into this repetition where every time we go into his dreams they're like trying to get him to shoot up mm-hmm. and then we come back to the real world for a minute yep and in the real world the med student's back in because he's like he hasn't calmed down at all the doctor wants to give him more narcan but supposedly that would be really damaging to him yeah they argue. Yeah, I don't I don't really know how all this works, but it feels like 
it feels like they knew what Narcan was, which like had been around for a while. Like I'm not surprised mm-hmm. they knew what it was. But like I don't know that this is how it works and I don't know that that's your only option. Like if his blood pressure's dropping, you can like give him fluids. Or like epinephrine. Also yeah. like it's been hours and you've already treated any potential overdose and now aren't you just like treating his head trauma? Hmm. You would think. But then again, I don't know. That guy skipped rounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he knows nothing about Dylan. He's just like junkie. It's like, no, no. Junkie and head trauma. <laughs> right. There's more to the story here, sir. Which you'd know if you didn't skip rounds. Exactly. And I mean, like, I guess kind of playing off this idea that the doctor doesn't really care who Dylan is or anything about him, you know, we come out of the hospital over to the peach pit where Steve still is. And Nat's really worried about Dylan. And Steve's like, well, you got to take care of yourself and you got to let me take care of the pee pad. Mm -hmm. And Andrea just like floats into the scene to be like, how dare you talk about business right now? Yeah. Man, Andrea has not been great lately. (laughs) She's had some bad takes. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, to, like, one extent, you have a point of, like, you should go see your friend. But on the other side, like, Nat does have a struggling business. Like, he does have to think about these things. It's unfortunate, but, like, this shit does have to happen. Well, and just because one of your friends is in the hospital, I mean, like – think the issue on yeah like you said like Andrea is probably taking up with is the fact that Steve hasn't visited him yet or something but it's like if stuff like this happens it doesn't necessarily have to be all you talk about um that might sound insensitive but I don't mean it like in a bad way I just mean at a certain point there's no updates there's not a lot you can do because he's in the hands of doctors like you don't it's not going to make anybody feel better or send any positive vibes over to Dylan by talking about it and worrying about it the whole time he's there, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's, you know, this side of it of like, there's only so many people that can be in the hospital at one point. Yeah, so like, exactly. It's really good that there are people there and, you know, that does free up it feels kind of weird to use those words, but it does free up Nat to be like, I need to think about like contingency plans. Mm-hmm. If God forbid something happens, like Dylan's money is all tied up in this. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yep. And then, yeah, Steve has like finally found, you know, his calling and he's like kind of being a dick of like, well, if Dylan's out, then I can come back in and we can get the rug store and bring live music. He's like, I'll take Dylan's shares. Heck, I'll take your shares. Like, I'll do whatever you want with it. And then he even throws in that comment, like, he'll get the money to foot it from his dad. So it sounds like money is not an issue for Steve. It just is for Nat. But he's trying to take that issue away from Nat. Yeah. And speaking of dads, we go back to Dylan's dreams where he's getting in his dad's car. And his dealer pops up again and takes Mm -hmm. him to a pool hall full of women that Dylan has been with. And then also all the women that he knows just in general. Right. Like it was so weird seeing Dylan put it all together. Like, oh, wait, I was with her. And then her. Oh, my God. I was with all these girls. I was with all these girls. Like it was. It was weird. Yeah. This one's, it's very bizarro because, like, yeah, Kelly comes and starts to make out with him, and then Valerie shows up, and then Donna shows up and just like smashes her face into his face. Mm hmm. I really go for it, huh? Yep. And then Suzanne shows up, and I was very scared for a moment. I was like, ew, no, 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 no. Okay. Whew. Just give him drugs. <laughs> right? Like, Phew, she's just holding his arm out so they can forcibly inject him. Thank goodness. Right. I wonder what Luke Perry thought when he saw this script. I just, like... That says, make out with every girl here. (laughs) I feel like there's definitely a part of you that's just like, I mean, if you insist. Yeah, twist my arm. Like, 
whatever. Like, yeah, he literally, they're literally, it's very male gazy, but you know, I think that's on purpose where he's literally just like surrounded by women in lingerie. Mm hmm. And then, like, open mouth, full on tongue kissing with every woman except Suzanne. I really hope they all just, like, had breath mints available. Like, what if he had just <laughs> eaten, like, a tuna sandwich? Oh. I read no. somewhere. I read somewhere that Jennifer Lawrence eats smelly foods before kissing scenes on purpose to make it, like, to cut tension. I mean, that's fair. I totally get it. That would definitely cut tension. Now, would it? Also to make it like not enjoyable because it's work and not like making out for funsies. Yeah, like it's not supposed to be like self-indulgent or whatever. Yeah. This is totally unrelated. Well, like minorly related. Um, When I like turned on the TV earlier, it was this weird show on Fox where like two people just talked really fast about like stuff that has happened in the news but, like, entertainment news. Like, they listed off the top five Jim Carrey movies in, like, 30 seconds and then went to commercial. It was very weird. <laughs> but they were like, Shailene Woodley was in the news recently for making comments about sex scenes in movies. And I, like, it was literally just, like, you know, all the time that you see sex scenes in movies, the women are wearing, like, a bra top, and that's just unrealistic. And I was like, because they don't want to be nude. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't understand why anyone felt like, A, you had to say it, and then B, you had to talk about it. And then <laughs> C, I'm bringing it up again. Anyway, That's I might cut all that interesting. out. I kind of wanted it to be like whatever you were listening to. Shailene Woodley had comments about topic. And then that's all Nothing. they're saying about it. <laughs> Don't tell you what the comments are. Just say that she said something. No, it was the weirdest show because then they were like, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers, her boyfriend, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, always wears his Green Bay Packer helmet when they have sex and then just <laughs> change topics. Wow. Like, I could not get a read on these people. <laughs> It's hilarious. They sound like they might be aliens trying to emulate human culture. <laughs> and like, I legitimately think this might just be an Atlanta show. Oh like, boy. I don't think this airs anywhere else. I've never seen it before. It was so the weirdest. Strange. It's so weird. But anyway, flag football. Yeah, Rush decides to get involved and run a play, and he runs a little flea flicker to Brandon. Yeah, and Brandon, like, you know, after they finish this play, it's so great. Everything went so well. He goes over to Steve, and he's like, either you need to start over with your dad or forfeit the tournament. And then Steve's like, why are you siding with Rush? And Brandon's like, no, I'm siding with me for a change. He's like, <laughs> for a change? <laughs> yeah, also, like, you have a side – it's not your side. It's the side somebody told you to have. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I don't want to remember college. Is you and your dad fighting and Dylan dying? Brandon. Stop it. It's right? like one Saturday. Like but then the most amazing thing happens when they do their little like mess with the bull you'll get the horns thing oh my god i don't understand it i know we'll never see it again nope but when they just went the quah the burrito and then just walked away yeah like that was great i don't remember how they got there <laughs> like they went from saying Brandon's college experience is terrible all because of Steve to Steve getting upset because like you know everything's always at his expense to this great little handshake I have no idea it's like every now and then Jason Priestley is just like Brandon should have handshakes because oh. he had the one with Dylan at the beginning of what was that season 
four? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they like flex at each other. I missed that one. I wish we could see that again. Babies. And now. But Dylan's busy having bananas dreams. Bananas. Because now Kevin and Suzanne are telling Mrs. Teasley to shoot Dylan with a gun. And she's just like, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm his <laughs> high school vice principal. Which, why is she there? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm not mad about it because I missed Mrs. Teasley. And I didn't realize I would so much until she came back. She just has a really soothing voice. And I've missed that voice. Yeah. And I, I just really love that she is like the voice of reason in his dreams versus Kevin, Suzanne, and a dealer. Right. Like side it, note, I heard Miss or I saw Mrs. Teasley recently in something I forget what it was, but she was a therapist, and just her voice was still so soothing and wonderful. I was like, "Oh, Mrs. T, you're the best." Could you imagine if she was the Mister Feeney? Oh, I would have loved that. Right? She becomes vice principal of college. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have vice principals in college? I think it's called associate dean. <laughs> vice nurse of this dream hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, but really, she could be dean of CU. We never see that man. That's true. If it is a man. And let's face it, it's a man. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we saw him once. And it was like Dean and Chancellor next to each other, and they were two men. And then, That's like, right. I don't think we've seen Dean again. That's right. That's right. But uh, yeah, so this like crazy dream, it's still all about the train tracks. It's still Dylan like not wanting to follow the light. So he walks away from the train. He gives money to the old veteran, but then he does walk toward the light. So it's real confusing about what he's actually doing. And here's Claire and David. <laughs> Yeah, talking about how the gin blossoms may have shot here. It's okay. Everything's derivative. And then they switch voices. Okay. I <laughs> watched this twice, and I heard David say David, and I was still confused. Yeah. I was like, I, what, I, I don't understand. What's the funniest part about this is that they're the only two people that go to see Dylan that are just themselves as they are. In Dylan's dreams, as opposed to like Kelly being in lingerie and trying to get with him or trying to get married to him or, you know, Jim and Cindy being his parents and like all this stuff, Miss Teasley being a nurse. David and Claire are just like basically astral projections of themselves. <laughs> Which like, you know, no offense to them. I I do truly enjoy seeing them sometimes, but like they had no purpose here. They even go into Dylan's a uh, hospital room and you know you're supposed to go in you're supposed to visit you're supposed to like talk to them so they can hear your voice and all this stuff and no they're just like literally still doing their own thing in the other it's room it's just so weird it's so weird they're just like we gotta get them in here just get them in here real quick and then we're done yeah and like has claire even ever met dylan that's the thing is I don't know if they've actually met in person. They may have seen each other in passing, but I don't think they've had a conversation. I don't think so. And then something happens with Dylan, but like my next thing is that we go back into his dream mm -hmm. and he's playing pool and Kevin and Suzanne are talking about like how he's having the game of his life and he's lucky and it's like, no, he's not lucky. He's good. And then the dealers, he's not good. He's great. And then it's the same thing where they, like, pin him to the table and they're like, yeah, let's just give you more drugs. Well, and what was weird is this was, like, an, another creepy dream because when he sinks the eight ball, all of a sudden you see a little person standing on top of the pocket. I was like, what? Why? <laughs> that was some Twin Peaks shit. Yeah. It was so weird. And, and then, yeah. yeah, it's like a weird... I guess pan around the room because everybody's at the pool house. David and Claire are just standing there. Donna's dancing and the dealer is giving him the injection. Kevin and Suzanne are happy about it. Uh, then Claire comes like up onto the table 
like on top of Dylan or whatever. And Suzanne calls Claire a strung out little street hustler. And then Claire just starts making out with Dylan. And then, like, Susanna's like, no, it's my turf and I'm the one that makes him happy. And then you see Erica in, like, a giant blossom hat just, like, sitting there watching this whole thing happen. Yeah. Which she looked – was interesting with her there because she looked older. And I don't know if it's because they, like, put more makeup on her to make her look older to be at this pool hall or if it was just the actress. But I just don't recall at the train tracks her, her looking – like quite as old as she did here which i thought was interesting if on purpose yeah i don't know but what's so weird about all these dreams is like i bet in 1994 1995 this was real weird right like this was like messed up you know almost by like the viewers probably didn't love it they're like but i just think about all the crap that we watch these days (laughs) and how it like isn't really that weird. Like, it's weird, but it's like we understand it's weirdness. There's been enough weird stuff on TV to understand symbolism and purpose and stuff like that. Yeah, I I do wonder. I mean, like, yeah, Twin Peaks had definitely come out by now. There were, like, some really weird movies that had come out, but, like, how much was on just, like, network television and you could just yeah. watch it on Wednesday night. And then, yeah, we've got this where, like, you know, the doctors keep trying to give Dylan Narcan and he's seeing like, you know, slimy, squirmy, snaky things and just like bizarro land. Mm-hmm. And now apparently he's like flatlined and it almost seems real, but it's not real. He's still dreaming. I genuinely expected it to be real. And then, like, fade to commercial, come back, go to the football game, and then come back to Dylan again and have the doctor and uh, medical student just be like, oh, we brought him back. Right, right. Totally. Because, yeah, we go to the football game. Brandon gets a tackle. Everyone's cheering. Jim comes by. uh, Rush says he's, like, staying farther back so he doesn't mess with Brandon or he doesn't mess with Steve. And then they talk about how there's, like, 40 seconds left on the clock, and they don't want to run the clock down because then they're just going to give the ball right back, like, really close to the goal, and it's Mm 0-0. So they decide to do the flea flicker, score in, like, five seconds. I'm like, this is not clock management. (laughs) I know. You guys still have to play defense. Right? We just forgot that it was 40 seconds, or it's TV 40 seconds, where 40 seconds can be either five seconds or it can be, like, 40 minutes. And yeah, so apparently they score the they run they score off of the flea flicker and win. Yeah, and I kind of just want to like wrap up, wrap up football. the football stuff because like literally after that, I guess they all go to the student center and get cokes. And Steve goes, "I'd like to make a toast." And Munch says, "Rye or sourdough?" I love Munch. <laughs> I loved it so much. Munch is just a great little sidekick boy. He's fun. Like, I'm mm-hmm. so glad that he stuck around. Me too. I remember back when we only knew him as Moon Pie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Adorable. But, yeah, yeah, then it gets all sweet because Steve does make a toast and he's like, I know we're in the finals of 94 or whatever, but I think we have to credit this play to the team from 64. And then Rush, like, toast back to Steve, you know, and all that. And then Steve – corrects or not corrects but adds on is like hey you're a nightclub owner now (laughs) yeah i love that rush is like what and steve's like i'll explain later i'll tell you about it later and then just just celebrating Mm -hmm. i I will be very interested in this idea that out of desperation steve has brought rush very much back into his life oh totally i mean I remember we had a comment from one of our listeners saying that we haven't seen the last of Rush Sanders and there's a lot of things that we would learn in the future as to like why it's number one, a great cast by um, the show, but then also just like you, you get a lot more details about the relationship. So even though I don't like Rush, I think he's probably a good character. And and like we've already mentioned in just this episode alone, 
we learn a lot more about Steve just by him being here. And I am all for more Steve that is not Steve the punching bag. Totally. I mean, to be seen whether or not Rush uses his kid as a punching bag, but at least it'll be a different person treating Steve like dirt and making him do the same thing over and over and over again. Right. But yeah, I mean, while Steve is out celebrating with his dad, he's like never gone to the hospital. And even at the end of the game, like Brandon does like you see him and Jim leave to go back to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So in the hospital, the doctor and the medical student are arguing because like medically it doesn't make any sense that, you know, Dylan won't wake up. This is where like it really looks like they have banged at least once and it was weird. Mm hmm. And then we, you know, go into his brain. He keeps dreaming about the car explosion, about Erica on the train tracks, about the beggar, like, asking him for money or saying, like, former altar boy. And then the dealer, like, really pushing Dylan, like, just go into the light. Just go into the light. Just do it. And he finally starts to go do it. And, like, he's given this, like, beggar man a couple of bucks a few times. But this time the guy – comes up behind him and like you know pulls him back from going into the light and like wraps him up into a hug and it is Jack McKay and my little heart grew three sizes <laughs> that day I mean we probably should have known that the only person that could get him to wake up is his dad I mean yeah we we should have but I did not expect it at all. I even looked at the cast list like during this because I thought oh, yeah. like I thought the guy who played the beggar when he was looking like the beggar looked familiar and he's actually I think he's been in like two episodes before but he's just named like teacher. Mm, okay. And yeah, so I went in IMDb. I looked at the whole cast list. Somehow did not see Jack McKay there at all. Wow. Like, my brain just went right past it. It was like, nope, there's no McKay's here. <laughs> I mean, but it's sweet, though, because, like, immediately Dylan's emotional. He hugs him back. He's, like, so excited to see him. Um, and Jack tells Dylan that it's not, like, none of this is worth it. Um, like, stop doing the drugs, man. It's not worth it. And, yeah, I mean, that that does it. Like he opens his eyes. His mom has made it to the hospital and he even asked her, he's like, is this real? And she's like, yes, it is very real. You're alive. Mm -hmm. And then like she goes to get the doctor. She's like, I was told the second he wakes up, I need to let people know. And Dylan looks over to the side and there's, you know, a chair in the corner of the room and he sees Jack just like sitting there smiling at him. His little papa, his guardian angel. And I got to be honest, if this is what makes Dylan go clean again, like, I am for this. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. He tried to get clean once before and his with his dad and all his issues and all that stuff. Like, there's just a lot of depth there. Um, and it makes so much sense. Yeah. Do you guys think Jack McKay was really there? Or do you think... Dylan imagined him. So I assumed he imagined him because I just can't imagine that Jack would actually be there and Iris not be like, uh, this fucker faked his death. Glad you're awake so that you can witness this too. Yeah. I I have a theory. I've been like noodling on it because I don't want to believe that Jack's dead because I just still believe he faked his death. So my theory is he heard about stuff. He's got like a secret identity that he's living under at this point. He comes and sees Dylan in the hospital and talks to him and says those things to him in real life that he Dylan hears in his dream. And then um, somehow makes it out of the room before Iris gets there. She doesn't notice him and he does like a fancy superhero Batman disappear. <laughs> I love that so much. No, because, like, we have talked about how, like, we just really want Jack to have faked his death and to not have died and then he'll come back at some point. 
And then after watching this episode, I was thinking about it and I was like, if Jack actually faked his death and so like faked his death, you know, left for whatever, didn't take his kid with him, wasn't there this whole time with Suzanne, like could have stopped all of this from happening. Then his kid ends up in a life-threatening accident and in a coma and like Jack was never there. It's like, that's really going to suck. But maybe he wasn't in town and didn't know because witness protection. <laughs> I mean, yeah, realistically, you wouldn't know. But then, yeah, if he comes back in like two seasons, like, you know, Dylan's probably going to be so excited to see him. But I feel like part of him should be like, the fuck you been? Yeah, you got True. some explaining to do. That's fair. Like, I almost died. Mm-hmm. I'm just not ready to give up on Cowboy Dad. <laughs> I can't. Especially when they brought him back and he was so sweet. I was just like, well, I need him now. Dylan needs him too. Dylan just deserves a family. And not the Walshes. And not Suzanne and Kevin. You should never trust a man named Kevin. <laughs> I always wanted to have a dumb boy dog named named almost said Brandon on name Kevin. <laughs> Just can't trust a Kevin. Kevin McAllister. Can't trust that kid. I don't know other Kevins. I'm trying to think of some Kevin from the office. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a mistake plus Kevin will get you home by 7. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Do you have a quote of the week? Yeah, I do. Okay. So I'm going to go with David, please. Don't ESPN me here, okay? But I have two backups just in case. Okay. I have one guess. It is, duh, Steve. That's the winner. <laughs> oh, that was my that was my backup, and then my second backup was the qua, the burrito. That was also good. It just made me so reminiscent of the last like handshakes, and so it was just Steve like, just the reaction to me like the duh, but like also the pause and the face that he makes when he says it was just everything. It was so funny. I just I want everyone to do that to Kelly. I'm just like yes. We know. You're a psychology major. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So Mary. my my moment of the week this week, um, besides every Twin Peaks-esque dream sequence, was specifically leather jacket Kevin and side ponytail Suzanne. I loved oh, the yeah. side pony. That when, was great. Like, it was the only part of my notes that I went all caps, and I usually do that more than once per episode. But wow. I just wrote, oh, my God, leather jacket Kevin. <laughs> His oh. hair was a little greased back, too. Uh, there's something wrong with me. I think he's cute. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, he's That's got... He gets you. He does have a very, like, friendly face. He looks trustworthy, which it sucks that he's a bad guy. He's a con man, Mary. Mary would lose all her money. I would. <laughs> I would give him all my money. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's it. Dylan's awake. Hopefully going to get sober. But I guess we'll find out next week. Yep. And next week we have Season 5, Episode 11, Hate is Just a Four-Letter Word. Yeah, I got nothing. Well, I just peeked right below the first sentence in the synopsis for the next episode, and our boy Dean Trimble is going to be in the episode. Shut up! <laughs> Dead serious. <laughs> I didn't even know his last name. <laughs> I should never talk again. I'm like, we don't see this anymore. Happens next episode. <laughs> yeah. This has happened like three times. It was perfect. Ugh. All right. Well, 
yeah, I guess we'll find out why hate is just a four-letter word next week. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast. And you can shoot us over an email, whether you have thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, any ideas, any topics you want us to talk about, any anything at all. Just do that at Back2Podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share, you know, all those different things. Uh, That kind of stuff really helps us get seen. If you leave us a review, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Um, So yeah, those like actually really help us. So we'd really appreciate that. So from all of us at Back to You Podcast, I am rye and or sourdough toast. I am the quah. The burrito. And I'm sleepy. Bye. (laughs) Bye. See ya.